You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey, you. So here we are with another episode and in a strange but true turn of events, I am on day six of a 14-day quarantine. (laughs) My father-in-law spent the past two and a half months in China on a little tropical island enjoying himself and his retirement. And then in the weeks before he left the island, about 50,000 folks from Wuhan came to the island to escape some of the health stuff going on there in the early stages. And of course, that turned out to be the coronavirus. And then he left the island and spent a couple of days in Shanghai waiting for us to get him an earlier flight back to Canada. And we didn't want him to be alone at his place waiting to see if he got sick. So... He has been staying with us this week, which means if he was exposed, we have now been exposed and we decided to just do the the responsible thing, follow the WHO's recommendation, self-quarantine for 14 days just to ensure we don't pass it on to anyone. And here we are. Uh, It also means, though, that his arrival, because it was (laughs) unexpected arrival, uh, pushed back my recording of the Patreon bonus for last week's episode, because I need a little time and space when I record for the podcast, and that that was something that, uh, (laughs) with him here, I needed to wait until I had a little bit of alone time. And now that he's been here a week and we feel pretty confident he's okay, he's actually heading home. We're going to continue to quarantine for a week, but now I can finally record. So you're going to get two Patreon bonuses this week. The first bonus is an exploration of all the things that people got stuck in their vagina, penis, or rectum in 2019. We're going to not only talk about the things that got stuck, but other things we can use for pleasure. And then uh, the second bonus is all about biological sex, chromosomes, and genes, and the science of all of our sexual organs and chromosomes and stuff. It's really fun and really cool and helps us to just kind of unpack so many of our feelings about gender and bodies and all the other things. So I hope you'll tune into those, patreon.com slash SGR podcast. I'm also next week going to be doing a bonus uh, of some Am I the Asshole questions, which I think will be super fun. So if you support the show at $3 a month and above, you get weekly bonus content. And two bonuses are coming out this week. I've got some awesome interviews lined up. Jessica Valenti and 
uh, Jacqueline Friedman are going to be coming on the show to talk about their new book, Believe Me. We will, of course, be recording a bonus conversation that only Patreon supporters can hear. And I've got a Andrews. We're trying to find a time to talk about sex and disability and a whole bunch of other stuff. So patreon.com slash SGR podcast. This week's episode is exciting because not only am I fielding your questions, but the amazing Gina Senarigi is joining us for the last half of this week's episode to help me field a question from one of you about some tough feelings that have come up around a threesome situation. So really good stuff this week. Also, speaking of which, so many of you have emailed in the past week, and I love it. Your questions have been so thoughtful, vulnerable, and definitely important. So thank you for trusting me with all of that. If you could use some support, advice, resources, or you just want your story held, write to me. I would love to hear from you. You can go to dawnsarah.com and just click on the contact option to fill out the little form and send me your question. And there is an anonymous option. One other little bit of news, Be Nourished just opened up applications for their next body trust provider certification. So if you'd like to be a part of the next cohort, if you'd like to deepen in your work around body liberation, haze, which is health at every size, body trust, and healing, you might want to check it out. It was a really awesome experience, and the community has been everything. So if you're in the field and you think that might be helpful for you, check it out because applications are open. Before we jump into your questions... I saved something by someone named Heidi Preeb the other day, and I wanted to share it here. It's, um, I think, a really beautiful sentiment. I shared it on Facebook, and a whole bunch of people um, really resonated with it. So I thought we could be in it together. Here's what Heidi wrote. To love someone long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the people they used to be. The people they're too exhausted to be any longer. The people they don't recognize inside themselves anymore. The people they grew out of. The people they never ended up growing into. We so badly want the people we love to get their spark back when it burns out to become speedily found when they are lost. But it is not our job to hold anyone accountable to the people they used to be. It is our job to travel with them between each version and to honor what emerges along the way. Sometimes it will be an even more luminescent flame. Sometimes it will be a flicker that disappears and temporarily floods the room with a perfect and necessary darkness. I loved these words by Heidi, the idea that to love someone over the course of time is to attend a thousand funerals of who they were, are, and want to be. And the same is true for those who love us. You know, each change, each question we ask leads us towards a new version of ourselves. And the people who love us are also attending funerals for us as well. 
and maybe some of the stories they carried about who we are or would be. So much of the pain that I see in the work that I do stems from people clinging so tightly to old stories about their partner, about their loved ones, old patterns, clinging to nostalgia about how things used to be. And when we spend so much time and energy looking back, we really can miss so much opportunity and wonder at what's actually unfolding in the here and now. But I do think that letting go of that comparison of looking back at what's not here anymore, what's changed, and to really attend to what is true instead of what you wish were true, that does involve grief work. It means also, though, fostering endless curiosity. And it invites us into cultivating relationships that allow for mistakes and confusion and the unknown. But when I think about that, it sounds like such a dynamic and life-filled space to attend to what's true now and to marvel at what it means to love other humans who are eternally complex and changing and mysterious. So I'm just holding those words by Heidi and everything that um, is wrapped up in them and the invitation that it offers for us to find ways to start loving into what is and finding that marvel, that curiosity about where we are and where we might go instead of looking back and trying to recapture something that has moved on. I'm going to post a link to Heidi's words at donsarah.com slash EP 292 for episode 292 of the podcast. If you want to share it yourself, I'm sure a lot of folks that follow you would love to see that. And also I've got a picture (laughs) of me wearing my bumblebee mask up on the website for this episode too, because of all the quarantine. So while you are grabbing the link to Heidi's words, you can also check out my quarantine selfie. Uh, That's the only place that it's posted. So check that out. Okay. Last week I shared some thoughts on Kobe Bryant and Since his death and his daughter's death and all of the other people that were on the helicopter, there have been thousands of think pieces and Twitter threads, and it's just really clear that it is complicated. And I received an email from Scottney, who speaks so eloquently to why it's so complicated. Now, a very similar conversation to what you're about to hear unfolded in my Explore More Facebook group, and a couple of survivors felt deeply triggered by the nuance that we were inviting. So if you are in a place where asking complicated questions about sexual assault and believing survivors might hurt, if you're in a place where um, you need things to be black and white right now as part of your healing, that's okay, you might want to skip ahead, you know a couple of minutes, maybe seven or eight minutes, so that we can be in Scottney's email together. Here is what Scottney wrote. Hi, Dawn. Your message about Kobe Bryant really struck me, and I wanted to reach out and share why. Disclaimer, my comments are based in the gender binary. I totally agree that the situations around famous men accused of sexual assault can be complicated. 
as they can be seen as important and inspiring people for some, yet still cause pain for others through their violent actions. There are a lot of complicated aspects of that real reality, but I do think it would be remiss to not acknowledge that race is also one of those complicated aspects. You passionately and firmly declared that you believe the woman who was victimized by Kobe Bryant, and I do as well. But as a Black woman, it was an incredibly emotionally difficult position to take. America has a long and bloody history of accusing Black men of sexually assaulting white women to justify horrific violence, from Emmett Till to Claude Neal, from the Central Park Five to Brian Banks. For many Black women, we don't have the luxury or the privilege to simply believe survivors. When the facts are not clear and the alleged perpetrator is Black, because we have seen how a society and a justice system based in white supremacy continuously looks for any reason to vilify and denigrate and then punish Black men and Black people in general. Not to mention when the person is famous and a much-needed role model for young Black children who struggle to see themselves represented in positive ways in the world around them. Though I do agree this is all the more reason to hold people like this accountable. To this day, the biggest fight I ever had with my brother was when I said I believed Kobe was guilty of sexual assault. My little brother, who had grown up with posters of Kobe on his walls, who was constantly looking for people who looked like him, who were successful and accomplished, who inspired him to be the same, to be a leader in whatever he chose to do, despite facing so much racism at his predominantly white high school, he had to transfer out of. At the crux of the intersection of my blackness and my womanhood, I felt great sorrow in facing my little brother's anger and denial when I made it clear I believed one of his heroes had done such a terrible thing and should be held accountable. I'm not at all saying Black male perpetrators should not be held accountable, especially since Black women are far too often victims of sexual assault and violence, often at the hands of Black men. To be clear, I firmly believe Any and every perpetrator of physical and sexual violence, especially that victimizes people from vulnerable populations, should be held accountable. But modern mainstream feminism, mostly led by white women, would say you should always believe survivors without question. But this absolutist approach continues to ignore the impact of white supremacy and institutional racism in relation to these issues. I just wanted to point out that the reality is not so simple for everyone. Thank you for the amazing work you do in making accurate, compassionate, and inclusive sexual health information accessible to so many. From a huge fan and fellow sex educator, Scottney. Scottney, thank you so much for naming the complexities so clearly and with such clarity. There is a long legacy of black men being killed, imprisoned, and punished at the hands of white women, and that deserves to be named continuously. The ways that race, class, and gender swirl together is ugly, and it's messy, and it means simple answers simply are not good enough. Your email 
demonstrates so beautifully why I believe so firmly in moving away from carceral punishment and the prison industrial complex towards community accountability and transformative justice. I mean, we need to be asking questions like what conditions allow abuse to happen in our communities in the first place? What are we culturally valuing and romanticizing? How is power distributed? Who gets to be believed? I know that I do not want to be defined by the worst things that I do. I want a chance to grow and repair and make amends when I fuck up, when I hurt people, because I have and I will again, when I make bad decisions, when I dehumanize someone, and I'm assuming that others want that too. I want to be asking questions like, how do we center survivors without stripping away the humanity of those who cause harm? How can we hold each other accountable from a place of firm love and communal support so that no one is thrown out or written off? That doesn't mean we keep folks who have caused harm in positions of power or where they can harm again, and it doesn't mean we forget. But it does mean we allow multiple truths to be true. It does mean a chance for us to be in conversation with people who we believe can do better, who want to support us as we do repair work. If we were to have a situation like what happened with the Central Park Five and Jane Doe, if we had community accountability, transformative justice, circle processes in place over the criminal industrial complex that we have now, which is so rooted in classism, racism, ableism, patriarchy, then Jane Doe would have had endless support around her healing, access to everything that she needed to start feeling supported, to work into her story, what had happened, and to hopefully find a way through the pain. Because what she experienced is fucking atrocious. It is. There is no erasing that. Her support needs to be centered, and those children never would have been in the situation that they were in, where they were pitted against each other, because everyone was so eager to find the bad guy. So often, Justice in our society, particularly here in the U.S. and in Canada, requires that someone's the bad guy, someone's the bad one, so that we can feel safe that we've gotten rid of that one. And instead, if we had community accountability, transformative justice, circle processes, we could believe survivors, offer support and healing for hurt that was going on and still believe in the humanity of people who do bad things. And again, that doesn't mean that they get power or they get access to certain spaces, but they still get access to support. As a multiple rape survivor myself, I have really complicated feelings about the men who did what they did to me, one in particular. And there's a part of me that will never forgive him because he knew exactly what he was doing. And that part of me does want him to suffer. And I get it. There is a thrum of vengeance that <laughs> moves through me when I think of him. But if we had better systems in place for dealing with each other with compassion and care, 
with true accountability built into our relationships from the get-go, it also wouldn't be my responsibility as a he, as a survivor to deal with him. That would be on others in the community so that I could focus on my healing. Believing survivors and giving people a chance to do the work, to do the repair, to get support, and for us to collectively realize that so much violence happens because we aren't taking care of each other in a truly communal way, because we aren't setting healthy boundaries and holding people accountable over small things, becomes easier and easier and easier for big, nasty things to happen. I am so glad you wrote in, Scottney, so that we can really hold the complexity of this together. Nuance might not be available to us when we're inside of our trauma response, but it's important that as many of us hold the space for that nuance, that self-reflection, that deeper analysis as we can, because it's how we can begin repairing the harm and dismantling these systems of oppression. We have to be able to name the nuance. So thank you so much, Scottney, for offering that. It, naming that is a crucial part of the work and for us to feel into the messiness of that. There's a lot more for us to learn and to feel into around that. And I'm not sure that more words are necessary right now, but my hope is that we can start really looking at the systems and at the culture that continues to indoctrinate so many of us into the normalization of sexual violence, into the fetishization of youth, and into so many other things. This next email comes from Nick about disability and going down on his wife. So Nick writes, my wife and I have been married for two years. We are polyamorous. When we first met, she wasn't that into oral. So it was never really an issue because it isn't a big deal for me either. It's not like receiving and not giving. Shortly after getting married, I had a double lung transplant. I was feeling great. But less than two years later, I'm actually preparing for retransplantation because of rejection. I'm short of breath easily. We still have sex regularly. However, other partners of hers have been more consistent going down on her. And she told me she realizes she started liking it a lot. When I was healthier, I would frequently go down on my partner. I would like to start again with my wife, but that's where the problem is. I get winded. I don't know if it's the position, I'm usually on my belly while she's on her back, or the action, constantly using my mouth, but it's hard for me to go down when she is on her hands and knees too, because the leaning puts a lot of pressure on my diaphragm. I'm short, five foot four, so a lot of positions are out of reach for me. Hell, doggy is hard enough. I'm a pleaser. I literally get off getting people off. I can do it with no stimulation to myself. I want to add oral back to the things my wife and I do, but I can barely go five minutes. Thanks, Dawn. You helped me be the sexual person I want to be. 
Nick, thank you so much for writing in with this question, as I am sure you are not alone in this. I want to begin by saying I am so sorry about the rejection post-transplant. I hope the retransplantation that you're preparing for goes as smoothly as possible, and fingers crossed for easier breathing soon. I hope the road to recovery is full of rest and ease and good shows and movies and all kinds of things. So let's get to the heart of your question and how to add oral back to the sex you're having. My first question for you is what if you didn't? What if, at least for right now, while you're waiting for the retransplantation and seeing how that goes, oral sex on your wife wasn't on the menu? What if for your comfort and health, you two focused on all the ways you can experience pleasure together that don't involve you going down on her? Sex toys, hands, mutual masturbation, teasing, role play, biting, tickling, erotic massage. I mean, the sky is the limit when it comes to offering pleasure to your wife, which you said is something you really get off on. Our bodies change throughout our lives, and sometimes the things we used to be able to do become challenging or impossible. And this ties so beautifully to those words that Heidi offered us at the top of the episode. Sometimes we cling to those past stories to the point where we really cause a lot of suffering in the present. Grieving what we used to be able to do is important and real. And it doesn't make us bad lovers or damaged or bad if things change. A partner might love a certain position or a particular kind of activity. And if it's not safe or comfortable or possible for us, both of those things can be true and everyone can still be happy, satisfied, and full of pleasurable experiences. I mean, if I have a shoulder injury or maybe I've just had a joint replacement, If my partner loves being flogged or stomped on, that might not be possible for a little while or even ever again because of my body. And that doesn't mean that there aren't a thousand other ways for us to play. I think the challenge is as human beings, we have a tendency to hyper-focus on what's not working, what we used to be able to do, but maybe isn't as easy or available to us anymore, which can totally obscure our opportunities for seeing the 100,000 countless other things that are working or might work. So my first offering to you, Nick, is simply a permission slip to not force it. Whether it's a not now thing or a not ever thing, maybe oral just isn't the best way for you two to have delicious, pleasurable sex. It's not a failure. It's not anything to apologize for. Bodies do body things. And sometimes that means what we want and what we can do don't align. But that's true for everybody at some point in time. And it's just an opportunity for different questions. Now, if you really do want to just give it a go, I have a couple of ideas. First up, what about having her lay on a dining room table or a massage table or an exam table? If you have a chair or a stool on wheels like a doctor would, that would put your face right at crotch level without you having to lay down or have any pressure on your chest at all. You could even tie her legs open so that all you have to worry about is just feasting from your seated position while she's exposed and everything is ready for you. Another option might be investing in some sex furniture 
the Liberator SE chaise lounger, or even one of their larger wedges. You could make homemade versions too on a sofa with lots of pillows or some yoga bolsters, but essentially you're looking for comfortable ways for her to recline that allow you to sit beside or at the foot of whatever she's on so that you can eat her out. And there are some really fun shapes that like Liberator Furniture and other companies similar to that have made. Even having her put her bum just over the edge of the bed and then lying back. And then she can either hold her legs up or you can tie them and put pillows under her legs for support while you kneel on the ground with a pillow under your knees could work. Another option might be you reclining on some pillows under your torso so that you're kind of at like a incline, like a maybe a hospital bed kind of thing, so that breathing is easy for you while she stands and straddles your sides. And then she can lower her vulva to your mouth. It's kind of like a modified riding of your face, but without any weight on you. It would require her to hold kind of like a prolonged squat situation. So depending on her body, that may or may not be an option. If you two are in a bondage or you know someone who is, there's also a chance to maybe suspend her in rope or uh, maybe from a door frame with a sex sling. And then you could sit or kneel or even stand and have access to her vulva without any weight being on you and you having total freedom of movement. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is what about having some oral adjacent sex toys? That might be a really fantastic addition to your play if she enjoys the sensation. I mean, toys like the Womanizer or the Satisfier Pro 2, they simulate suction on her clitoris and can give a sensation that's similar to you sucking on her clit. Toys like this could totally fill in for you if the modifications don't work for you, if you're tired. Um, there's a tongue flicking toy by Cal Exotics that kind of simulates a tongue flicking. So depending on the sensations she likes, there are lots of toy options out there. And all of these could be fun additions. They aren't less than, they aren't backups. They're literally designed for you to be able to give someone pleasure. And you can use that skill on your wife. What could, what could be better than that? <laughs> Giving someone all of this pleasure, whether it's with your mouth, your hand, or a toy, it's still pleasure you're given. All in all, I think your enthusiasm for pleasuring your wife is so awesome, Nick. If you could get a little creative around not only oral, but just pleasure and other sexual activities, I think you're going to find you actually do have endless options. Just because one person or one partner can do something doesn't mean that you have to as well. I mean, that goes for all things. That's definitely one of the benefits of polyamory. If she's super into oral and one or multiple of her partners can do that, and that's just not something you can do, great. You can do all these other things. And all it takes is the two of you just being a little bit creative and considering options and then trying things. I mean, if one of her partners didn't love intercourse and you do, it doesn't mean someone's better than the other. It's just different. So I hope that gives you some permission and some ideas, Nick, and I hope that you find all kinds of fun ways to honor your body exactly as it is now and post-retransplantation. Good luck.
At the top of the show, I mentioned Gina Senarigi would be joining us this week to help me field a question on some feelings that had come up around a potential threesome. Now, Gina is one of my favorite people and her work around non-monogamy is awesome. I refer so many people her way. She has been a speaker at Explore More Summit multiple times saying awesome things and now she's here with us. So let me tell you just a little bit about Gina, and then I will start my chat with her where you will hear the question that someone wrote in, as well as our answer. That's coming up next. So here is Gina's bio. Dr. Gina Senarigi, PhD, CPC, is an author, teacher, sexuality counselor, and certified relationship coach based in the Midwestern U.S., She's been supporting clean fights and dirty sex in happy, healthy relationships since 2009. Gina has written several books and currently leads couples retreats and coaches online clients all over the world. Also, don't forget to write in with your questions, to reach out if you could use some coaching support, and head to patreon.com slash podcast for this week's two bonuses and loads of new listener questions for $5 supporters. Here is me and Gina. Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Gina. I am really excited to dive into this question with you today. Yes. Thanks for um, sending it my way. This is going to be interesting. I know. I'm really excited. This is a the kind of question that I think you and I see often in the work that we do. So uh, I will read the question so everyone can be inside of it with us, and then we'll see where we go. Does that work for you? Perfect. Okay. Here we go. So here's the email that I received. Hey, Dawn, I have been in an open relationship for about four years. My boyfriend and I had some trust issues in June. He paid for couples therapy with Gina Senarigi at your recommendation. On New Year's Eve, my best friend, boyfriend, and I went out together. We took Molly, and it was my first time rolling with my friend. She is a very loving, sexually free poly person who just became single after being in an abusive, controlling relationship. Mm. And I am so happy she's rediscovered herself. She asked if she could kiss my boyfriend. And I said yes, as I had fantasized about that and it was hot. However, the night escalated really quickly. She then started grinding on him, getting really sexual, and the next thing I know, she comes up to me talking about her and my bo- how her and my boyfriend discussed her being our unicorn. Then my boyfriend comes up to me and talks about it too, and I just felt so overwhelmed. I wished I had known these feelings would come up. I wish I said she couldn't kiss him. I just had no idea how sexual it would turn, and I did not feel sexual at all. Now I feel super jealous, insecure, and angry at them both, even though I know I didn't communicate with them in the moment. I feel disgust and all these strong, yucky feelings. I've shared with them both how I feel. I've tried to process them, but I just don't know where to go from here. I wish I could be super sexually open, but now I feel closed off, jealous, rejected, insecure. Help from jealous friend and lover. 
so glad they wrote you. <laughs> I am too, because this is yeah. something that totally happens. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm like just imagining how many people are like nodding along <laughs> while you're reading that, right? Like how many listeners, like, let's get a show of hands. Right. How many folks have been in very similar situations? Maybe yeah. not exactly the same, but very similar where there's a, a friend or, you know, somebody, maybe an acquaintance who is attractive or you're curious about or you feel a pull towards um, and, and or mm-hmm. a situation where, um, you know, you and your partner may have mentioned something um, about having a threesome or about experimenting with other people and things escalate quickly, yep. more quickly than we imagined. Yeah. Yeah, those two elements in particular just seem like, gosh, I see folks in similar situations all the time. Yeah, I think one of the the more common situations that I either have people write into the show about or that comes up when I'm talking to people during coaching is this thing of kind of in the moment things start happening And then things go either too quickly or too far. And then there's all these yucky feelings that come up because of kind of that rush Mm -hmm. and, you know, the situations that we can end up in when things just feel different than we thought they would or when they moved faster than we were expecting. And then you end up in a place like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that they wrote you, you know, they mentioned uh, that they, these particular people have worked with me, but like we're saying, um, I think you and I can talk through this today without even talking about this specific set of people, of course, because we wouldn't share their information online with yeah. the, the whole world, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just not how our coaching work works. Um, but because it's such a good topic of conversation for so many people to either think through or consider, or, you know, maybe they, other people are also doing some repair or cleanup work mm-hmm. um, after even even similar New Year's Eve, right? Yeah. Like, isn't that what they said? Yeah, New Year's Eve. Like, I know there are tons of people who probably had very similar situations just 26 days ago on New Year's yep. Eve. Yeah. 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 So if someone... So there's kind of a couple of, of things inside this question. You know, if, if we were to take a, take a step back and say if we may end up in situations like this where we'd be interested, you know, how can we prepare ourselves and kind of work through that ahead of time? But then there's the situation where maybe you either feel like you did do some preparation, but it still felt really off or kind of a surprise situation happened. You know, you're all Mm. at a party or you're at an event and it feels good. And then you end up in a place like this person who wrote in where things kind of happened more quickly. You didn't really know how to articulate your needs or you did and it wasn't quite right and it still felt bad. So where would you suggest people start if they're in a situation where now they're feeling really destabilized? Like after something has happened that, yeah. yeah. So well, I mean, I I just want to start, I think you and I were saying this in the beginning, but I just want to start by saying that um, having confusing attractions arise is totally normal. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like that just happens, um, right? We're friends with people usually for a reason. We have something in common or we have some attraction with them. Nothing wrong with that. And threesomes in particular 
are one of the most common fantasies um, in all the research on fantasies. You know, yep. it comes up again and again. Lots of folks fantasize about them. So I just, I think I want to start by just normalizing that. Like I, when we did start that out, but like statistically there is data showing us that <laughs> this is really, really common. And so, um, so like I just named that doesn't necessarily take the sting out of that destabilizing moment completely, right? You're still in it. But to know, uh, I think knowing that it's really common sometimes helps folks with that narrative that comes up inside that's like, is there something wrong with me? Yeah. Is my relationship broken? Is blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, to kind of wind that down to just say like, okay, this is a really common sort of thing that can come up mm-hmm. and help you kind of start to touch down a little bit. And, um, what I heard in this is that, you know, the momentum of the moment, um, possibly amplified by, uh, substances got folks caught up right in like a flow of energy that picked up more quickly than they wanted. And so to me, it would be, it would be easy to keep in that flow and be reactive and end up being either destructive or harmful or whatever. Um, what I want to do is slow that energy flow down so I can get back to a place of being more intentional, more connected with myself, more clear about what I want. Right. And so thinking about what will slow me down might be, you know, taking a walk so I can reflect and not being around these two folks for a minute um, while I do that, just to like clear my head, yeah. or might be journaling, right? So that I have like a grounding practice to just kind of clear out what's in my head without without it necessarily being verbal with these folks in particular. So I'm not, you know, I probably have like rough drafts of things running through my head, yeah. right? And so I'm not making promises or commitments right now, but I'm just really like distilling out what, who, what's going on for me? Maybe I see my therapist or my coach. Um, right to like talk through that might be a good place if I need to verbally process, mm-hmm. but just finding a way to slow it down so that I can stop that sort of reactive energy flow that that led me, you know, away from what I wanted or to this place of discomfort in the first yeah. place. Yeah, that's yeah. step one as far as I'm concerned. What do you yeah. think? I really like the the suggestion of slowing down. And I think like <laughs> that can be so difficult to do in the moment, you know, especially if you're drunk or if you're taking some type of substance, but, you know, to be in a situation where energy is high, energy is intense, things are kind of feeling fun and you're starting to feel that rush of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. It really does take some practice to be able to yeah. say like, whoa, let me just check in with myself for a couple of minutes and mm-hmm. see how this is actually feeling if I give myself a minute, you know, versus kind of getting caught up. And then here we are. And I love the invitation of like, maybe go for a walk or phone a friend or, mm-hmm. you know, just ask for a couple of minutes to kind of like, feel into how things are going. And this could even be the kind of thing that happens like in the middle of a play party. Someone comes up to you and invites you to do something and you aren't sure or you're really excited, but you kind of notice everyone's really activated. Just like, I really appreciate the invitation. I'm going to run to the restroom and I'll be back in a couple of minutes and then we can talk and just give yourself that moment in the bathroom to like 
breathe, check in, see what you're noticing, if there's any hesitation. And I also think it's worth naming sometimes we do slow down, sometimes we do reflect, and we come back and we say yes, and it still hurts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, and I think there is something about, you know, they, I think, I'm imagining, um, you know, like New Year's Eve, birthdays, certain holidays, certain anniversaries, and play parties. I, mm-hmm. I notice a lot of folks kind of can feel a pressure to participate or to go along with, like, oh, it's a fun night. So I don't want to put the, I don't want to slow things down. I yeah. don't want to take a break. I don't want to, you know, like this feels, I, or I, or I feel like I don't want to bum everyone else out. Like that can also be like a pressure that comes up. And I, uh, you know, a, that is indicative of this kind of momentum that starts pushing us in a direction. Yep. Um, and, um, in that sense of like obligation either to other or to the celebration itself, you know, it's really, it's coming between you and what, what's, good for you or what you want for yourself, you know, um, in that moment. And so really uh, taking that, taking even 30 seconds pause for a few good deep breaths sometimes can help us say, oh, I'm feeling like I should do this because my friend has come out of a relationship and is in this really exciting place. And I feel like I want to give her an opportunity to explore right? Or I should do this. My, my partner and I have talked about it before. So now I feel like I have to follow through on this previous conversation or something, right? Yep. Like there's a lot of like should have to kind of that gets us caught in doing things that aren't in alignment with what we're really ready for, or we really want. Um, and then we end up in a place of regret or remorse yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, I've been in a situation where, I mean, multiple, but one particular one where there was definitely a sense of like a pressure to participate. Everyone else was doing it, Mm -hmm. not wanting to kind of like bring people down. And there was definitely a sense of obligation and Mm -hmm. agreeing to something that I didn't really feel ready to agree to Mm -hmm. and how painful on the other side that was, not only because there was a little bit of a feeling of betrayal from the other people, but also because I felt like I had betrayed myself. Yeah. And that was like particularly painful. The feeling of like, I really didn't listen and now Mm -hmm. I'm hurting. And a big part of that is because I betrayed myself Mm -hmm. and that's a special kind of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, um, I think there's a lot of um, pressure to just kind of go with the flow of things. And that's not to say, it's not like after school's pressure, uh, after school special pressure, (laughs) usually where everyone's like, come on, just do it, whatever. It's not usually that overt, right? It's like an internal sense of not wanting to stand out, not wanting to rock the boat or wanting to avoid conflict or, uh, or being uncertain. Yes. Or confused and needing more information, but not either knowing how to ask or, you know, like there's just a, a lot can come up. And when we're talking about pleasure, um, things that are taboo, <laughs> things that feel like they're maybe an edge or new territory and relationships that matter to us all in one 
in one scenario, it's so much to hold all yeah, at once. It is. Yeah. It's so much to hold. And especially mm-hmm. when uh, it's a new person or a new situation, you know, and you don't know how it's going to feel. Mm-hmm. That's a, a kind of a, a big thing to be carrying and, and hoping turns out okay. And I yeah. think like the good news is on the other side of that, even if it does feel like something you wish hadn't happened, if there's regret or guilt or shame, or you feel like you did betray yourself the way that I did, repair is possible. It might be uncomfortable for a little while, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be catastrophic, even if it feels really difficult for a while. Yeah. 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 Repair is definitely, um, you know, possible. And I believe that in almost, almost any situation, (laughs) which, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, what I see a lot is, you know, we really want to see the things in these very black and white, all or nothing, good or evil kinds of ways. Like this was a good night or a good thing to do or a bad thing to do. Yeah. And it's just so, or a bad night or a bad event or a bad threesome or a good threesome or a good partner or a bad partner. And it's not quite that simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I think about partners uh how we engage with each other there are things that we do that that um contribute to our connection and also that you know are 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 harmful to our connection with other people all the time in big and small ways and so it's just so much more complex when we look at it like a probably half an hour time period, maybe hour time period at a party on an event, right? It's like, uh, like, oh, you know, this nourished connection. I felt like you saw me. It was really hot maybe when I watched you top that other person or, you mm-hmm. know, in that flogging scene. Um, and also, um, I was surprised to see something happen or I was confused or this thing didn't look like it was within what we agreed on to me, you know, both things can be true. It can be really hot and connective. And at the same time, it can also be confusing or, or hurtful, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think this is also one of, (laughs) one of those places where I have personal experience and I know lots of people listening do too, where we can, some of us know we're not the best communicators. We haven't had a lot of practice talking about sex or talking about needs. And we know we're, our relationship is a little bit closed down around certain things. And then there's others of us who feel like, no, we talk about all kinds of things and we tend to be really open and we share a lot of the same values. And so often in situations like this, when we haven't really been super specific in our conversations about what certain things Mm -hmm. mean to each other. Sometimes we discover through ouch, we have different definitions of what it means to make out with someone, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like to me, it might just be, we're kissing and it's kind of fun. And to you, it might be full body grinding and hands under clothes, Mm -hmm. or we might find we have different definitions of what it means to top someone. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes we only discover that difference when we're in the middle of realizing, oh, wow, we have defi- different definitions and this is hurting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that we don't talk about enough um, is how, when, and if can I interrupt you? 
when you're yeah. with someone else or do, in a conversation or on the dance floor or in a uh, bondage scene, right? Like in, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. How, when, and if can, should I, can I interrupt you? I think even like my partners at work right now, is it okay that I give them a call if I have this kind of question or not? Maybe if I have this other kind of question or would it be better to text? It's really helpful to think through those things before I'm in sort of an elevated situation, right? Where we're all feeling the celebration or we're all feeling the party or there's a pressure that can feel like a pressure about uh, making a decision or taking action. Yeah. Right. So if we've talked a little bit about like, um, yeah, I'm going to, I might kiss this person and we might be dancing. We're going to keep our clothes on um, and, and we'll, but we'll be in the next room or maybe we'll be in the same room, whatever. Do I, and let's say that ouch comes up. Can I come tap you on the shoulder? Yeah. Um, should I, like, uh, is there a hand signal that we want to use? Is there something that I can do? Can I join the three? Like mm-hmm. in what way? How do we want to handle that if ouch comes up? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, I think like anything, there's so many ways to be in relationship. There's so many different contexts. I might feel like this situation was really hot and I want more on one day. And on another day, if I didn't get a lot of rest or if maybe I'm feeling mm-hmm. a little hurt about something else, this same situation might happen and I feel a deep sense of betrayal. Yeah. And being able to talk about that and do the repair, as you mentioned, is a really crucial part of all of this because sometimes it's mm-hmm. not going to feel good and it's not because anybody did anything wrong. Um, yeah. But now here we are. So how yeah. do we start feeling into what it means to to come back together and to feel seen and validated in our feelings mm-hmm. and to kind of, you know, move ahead and learn from it. Yeah. Well, and I, I have to say, you know, having now 12 years of helping folks repair after very similar situations, I... Um, I, I can't say, you know, don't ever do drugs or everyone should be sober all the time. I don't have any hard and fast rules in my work (laughs) like that. Right. But I will say that the cleanup work, it's not easier, but it's a little more straightforward if we don't have this like second layer of guessing about like, am I perceiving it that way because I was high or am I perceive? is that what I remember? I remember it being a long period of time, but I was drunk. And so was that actually five minutes or was it 50 minutes? Mm -hmm. But my memory is impaired by substances. And there's, and that's not to say like, I'm not saying everybody has to be sober all the time, though it is a often a helpful choice. If you want to be in a place of real clear intention and um, clear memory Right. Um, and an emotional regulation, right? Mm. All of those things get impaired by substances. And um, and it can help then, you know, just to have the pieces to put together afterward. Um, if, you know, that's why a lot of play spaces are sober spaces. Yeah. Um, and that's, I would just suggest, you know, I think this case, um, and frankly, a lot of them that I've worked with over the years have been with people who are using a certain substance for the first time mm-hmm. um, or are s- super drunk 
on a particular day, evening usually, and that then decide, oh, tonight's the night we're going to try out a threesome or tonight's the night we're going to make out with our best friend or tonight's the <laughs> night we're going to try and tie someone up for the very first time. Yep. And I just, I, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I would not recommend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I just wouldn't. First time exciting things. Um, it just, it, oh, it, I think it adds a layer of complication. Yeah. Complexity when it's already a complex dynamic. Yeah, it really makes me think I was uh, talking to Princess Callie a couple of years ago about humiliation and so Mm. much of the work she does as a pro-dom. And she was talking about how so often people will come to her or they'll ask for advice and they have this like really elaborate fantasy that they've been wanting to live out. And maybe it's a whole bunch of things their partner's never done before or that they've never experienced before, but they've been thinking about it. And there's kind of this like urgency of like, oh, I finally get to do this thing. And the temptation is, let me just go like balls to the wall all in. I'm doing all the Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And how hard it can be if you have a bad experience that's super overwhelming to come back after that and to really kind of be willing to try again versus what her recommendation is, is like start with the smallest and start with one thing. So if you have Mm -hmm. like a bondage, you know, hands tied, blindfolded with someone peeing on me while they're calling me names I've never been called before in the window, try one of those things. What's it like to have sex in the window? What's it like to have your hands tied and to do something Mm -hmm. sexy? What's it like to wear a blindfold and to feel your way into each of those things and layer on knowing you can always do it again. Yeah. And I think like so much of what you're naming is when we're coming into situations that might be very emotional or might be intense or might be super exciting what's kind of that minimum that we can try where we have done something that feels really good and we're happy we got to try it knowing that we can try it again and can build on it as we have more experience and more knowledge. So maybe if I'm going to try a substance for the first time, we all agree that even if we start feeling like really amorous towards each other, we're just going to let this substance experience happen without other factors. Yeah. And maybe we can add the making out, but even if we really want to do these other things, we're just going to leave it so that we can check in afterwards and calibrate. Yeah. I like that knowing, okay, so I'm thinking about this um, because I know that you really like to cook uh, rather, rather complex dishes. <laughs> I know this <laughs> yes. about you, right? <laughs> and I think about how often, you know, I could throw fistfuls of ingredients into a pot and it might end up with some of the right flavors, but I can never take, like, I can't take those spices back out. Yeah. Once it's in there, I can always add more of something. And I think about that, you know, with these, with situations like, like these, when, you know, it's a complex recipe, I'm going to want to take care, maybe measure things out, mm-hmm. probably follow a certain order of like, just, you know, in a measured way, building things into complexity is more likely to lead me in the direction of yeah. what I what I want. Um, and I can always come back to the recipe and try again, right? Yeah. I can, like I can taste it in this form. It's not like, I think sometimes folks feel a lot of pressure of like, tonight's the one night we're all going to be in the right place at the right time, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. Like, no, 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 no. You know, we can make plans. We can figure it out. We got, te- we got ways we can do this. So like, mm-hmm. let's just, you know, like let's, um, experience Molly together 
maybe we'll all dance, maybe we'll kiss and that'll be the end of it. And if we want to talk even more, we can talk more another night or we can talk more the next morning over brunch or we can talk, you know, or we can set up another date, you know, uh, right. Like, okay, let, then let's do that. Right. And even I, you know, I see people go to their first play parties or swinger clubs for the first time and feel like compelled, like, Oh, I, we should take advantage of we're here tonight. Um, but just going to a place, just having the conversation is one of big deal. Yeah. For some people, that's a huge step. Yeah. And that can be enough, right? Like I think, um, uh, Julie and I, I, on our podcast, we've talked a lot about the like arousal continuum and the spectrum, right. That is like, all too often we focus all our energy on like a level eight to 10, like orgasm only nearly coming kind of arousal. And we, we overlook all these nuanced, like level one, level two kind of, um, sweet and, um, still intense, Mm -hmm. right. Arousal are all around us all the time. Um, and be, and, and so it can be like, Oh, well, if we're not having sex or if one of us doesn't come, then this hasn't been a successful experience instead of like, Ooh, talking about it was hot last night. Sharing that fantasy with you. It was like a level two, three, maybe seven, who knows? Yeah. Neither of us maybe came from sharing our, or maybe we didn't have penetrative sex, but damn it, we can share some heat and that's good. Let's savor that. Let's be in that like kind of lower grade arousal together is still so important for connectivity, for sexual health, right? For all of that good, yummy stuff. Yeah. Um, and then if we can appreciate that, we, we, it will start to feel like less pressure that like it has to happen now and it has to happen in uh, this prescriptive way of like one of us has to come or mm-hmm. all of us have to come and whatever. Yeah, like how can we leave an event or a situation wanting more and feeling yeah. excited about that <laughs> versus leaving feeling regret and disappointed and disconnected and hurt? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and looking forward to more, right? With anticipation right. or engagement or enticement. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I wanted to kiss that person so badly, but oh, it's so exciting that now we know that I want to kiss that person so badly and that you're feeling pretty good about it. So maybe next time we can actually make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And how um, affirming it is, right? We Having boundaries is, is one of the foundational elements of building trust. And you know, if our boundary is like, hey, we're going to go to this party, we're going to watch a lot of cool stuff. Um, we're going to check in with each other about an hour in about if we're, we want to stay or we want to go. Um, but we're not going to, we're not going to physically participate tonight. Let's say that's our mm-hmm. kind of set agreements. And then we go and once we're there, I'm like, yeah, but what about, but what about, um, what if we just, what if, you know, or I don't check in with you. I don't follow through on the check-in part or, um, you know, it's not like, it's not in every relationship like that's going to make or break. We have to split up. It might not be catastrophic, but those are the ways that we build trust as we follow through on like, well, that was hot. And I really wanted to get it on with you or with somebody else right there, but I didn't because we had this agreement and I know we'll have another opportunity, right? Yes. That builds trust. Yes. A hundred percent. So if someone finds that they are in a place where they feel angry, 
jealous, rejected. Uh, maybe things did escalate really quickly. And then on the back end, it's like, oh, I really wish that hadn't happened. What do you think are some ways that help people to start that repair work after something like this happens? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really helpful to distill out behaviors um, from perceptions right? So it could, I hear people say like, it feels like a betrayal. Well, but that, that can be the perception is betrayal. That can be the feeling that's totally valid. Yeah. The behavior is you kissed someone. The behavior is, um, you shared an inside joke with somebody else, right? I felt left out when I knew you had a secret Mm -hmm. with somebody else, right? Um, I, it's not, you made me feel like I'm not special. I'll hear people say that. But when you prioritized your time with that person um, by, you know, choosing to stay there longer, the way that impacts me, the feeling I take away is, um, is that I'm not special to you. So I start to separate those out because behaviors are easier to address without defensiveness. Right. And my partner, if I want to, if I want to have some kind of accountability and if I'm a partner who has done something that impacted, you know, my sweetheart negatively, I really need to focus on addressing the impact. So it's kind of the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, I want to look at like, oh, I want to empathize with how sad you feel or you felt left out or you feel lonely or you were afraid right? Um, when that happened, I want to empathize with that, even though odds are good. It was not my intention yeah. <laughs> to feel that way or for you to experience that thing, right? Like it, it probably, I had no idea or I was intending something really good. If I like my partner, usually that's my intent. Yeah. And still, if I want to have connection and do a repair, I have to address with them and empathize and connect with the impact. Yeah. And I think that can be particularly difficult for the person who's done the thing that caused the yeah. hurt because, you know, to to really look at someone you care about and to see how hurt they are by something you've done, even when you really didn't think it was going to hurt them or you really do feel like you were doing exactly what you two had agreed, you know, with there can be this story of like, well, that means I'm bad. I've done something wrong. I'm, you know, all those stories about worthiness can get triggered, which can lead to defensiveness. And being able to also notice that is yeah. such an important part of this. Cause I think mm-hmm. so often when it's like my feelings are hurt, that knee jerk reaction is, well, I'm not the kind of person that would do that on purpose. And so that's what I'm focused on mm-hmm. instead of, oh, I'm right. so sorry you're hurt. You know, right. and like that might make might me feel all kinds of confusing things, but like, let's, let's talk about why you feel hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many, we could get into a whole other conversation, about <laughs> justice here. but I think about how often, you know, the repair work needs to center the person or people who have been violated or oppressed or hurt or felt unseen or whatever, right. Who've been impacted negatively. Yeah. And all too often our response centers our intention, what we really meant. We go into explanation, which can, I hear people in session all the time will be like, you know, I, 
yeah, you apologized, but you, you just talked about what you meant to do. Yeah. Or what, and so that's there, or you just justified it. You spent the whole time justifying your actions and explaining your actions and not really listening to me. And it's, you know, it's really hard to, to accept the fact that we all make mistakes Mm -hmm. and our behaviors have impacts on other people. Yep. We don't always have much control over the impact, honestly. Um, and so we can do our best and then we can do better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's about it. And so we want, when we're doing the repair work, we want to be focused on, okay, how can I do better then next time? I'm so glad you said that because I think that's a really important. You know, something happened last night in a group that I am in where I did my best and someone still got hurt. Mm, and yeah. that is a hard reality of what it means to be a grown up, to be a human, to be in relationship with other people. Sometimes we can do our very best to not cause harm or to offer help or to listen. And still, someone can get really hurt or be harmed. And that's just true. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no other way about it. I've done my best and my best wasn't good enough. And sometimes that's just where we find ourselves and wow, that hurts. And how can I support you? And what can we do, if anything, to repair? Mm-hmm. Maybe there isn't repair to be done. It's just now I have to sit in this place that feels kind of yucky for a little while. Yeah. But I'm so glad you named that because sometimes we really are doing our best and people still get hurt or harmed or bad things happen. And then we have to find a way to work with that as our truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? No. Like I don't trust and therefore I'm, I'm untrustworthy or I'll, I'm a bad partner or I'm a bad person. Um, you know, I hear a lot of folks get kind of wrapped up their self-worth uh, is wrapped up in what their impact is on other people. Um, and what I'm looking at is like, uh, no, it's not that it's that we all do. We have behaviors all the time yeah. and, um, your behaviors are something you, you can manage. You can change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for offering all of your wisdom and suggestions. I know lots of people listening were nodding as they heard that question and are probably having all sorts of feels about all of the things that you've offered. So thank you so much for spending a little time with us. Yeah, I'm so, I'm really glad that they um, wrote this in for you because I think it's going to benefit a lot of other folks to just spend a little time thinking through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want to stay in touch with you or maybe check out one of your upcoming workshops or retreats or even mm-hmm. check out your podcast, how can they find you? Um, my websites are heygina.com and nonmonogamous.com. And then my podcast is called Swoon. Yay. There, yeah. Yeah. So people should definitely check out all those things and I'll have the links in the show notes so that they can sign up for your newsletter because you send out so many awesome emails about connection (laughs) and questions. So people should definitely sign up and tune into your podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and to everybody who tuned in. Thank you so much for being here with us too. You 
used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue, treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sexgetsreal to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder, what will you do differently that rewrites an old story, revitalizes a stuck relationship, or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure? So don't be ashamed. Love is supposed to be.